Patriots has a message for liberals and the mainstream media. You can't handle the truth. So buckle up, snowflakes, because we're about to deliver the politically direct best in conservative commentary, news, and investigative reports. We're telling the truth, and we're not going to stop. Okay, liberals, back under the bridge with the rest of your fellow trolls, and oh yeah, thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots. They are special, special people on RSPRadio1.com. Welcome to Right Side Patriots on RSPRadio1.com. Craig Andreessen at the National Patriot, Diane Sori at the Patriot Factor. It's Tuesday night, the 6th of February. Welcome to it. Hello, Diane. Hello, Craig, and how are you? I'm good. I'm good. good. Now that I know it's Tuesday, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> With what we've been working on and how much we've been doing on it, and you can explain that, I've lost all conceptions of days, times, whatever. <laughs> I started doing something earlier today that I should do on a Tuesday or, mm-hmm. or, you know, for a Tuesday, not on a Tuesday, but for a Tuesday. And it was the wrong thing because I should have been doing the update on our, excuse me, on our RSP radio one website or Wednesday. Right. But, but I was doing the Tuesday thing and I, I got part of it done. And I thought, Oh, it's not, you know, I did the wrong thing. I was supposed to be doing Wednesday. So I had to get a hold of Diane and say, don't bother doing this part of it uh, for tomorrow because I already did it. Hey, any time you want to do that, it's one less for me. You know, I just, I don't know. I Just like you, I've lost kind of concept of time. What we're doing, folks, uh, next Tuesday, a week from tonight, we're going to be covering an article we have that's coming out next Monday. Okay, it's a jointly written article, and it's about some of the real stuff that's going on over in the Middle East, uh, the the whole Hamas war, Israel, uh, and and who the players really are. Yes, and the truth about the drone strike, which we're not being told. Right, and there's a lot of stuff that people don't realize. Maybe they know it in the back of their head. Maybe they suspect certain things in the back of their head. We're going to clear a lot of that up next week. Yes. You know, so. With proof. This is not just us talking. There are certain links to truth in this article. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the drone strike, you know, and the response to it. There's a lot going on there that people aren't thinking about. Right. You know, so we're going to cover all of that next week on this very show. In the meantime, we've got stuff we need to talk about tonight. Let's start with the Mayorkas possible impeachment question mark. Okay. Uh, The man should be impeached. He's a disgrace. He has allowed the rule of law to run amok at the border. He's a Democrat, you know, bringing in more Democrat votes. Unfortunately, it will never fly in the Senate. You know, that's really the conventional thinking, and I understand 
you know, where you're coming from and where a lot of people are coming from on that, I'm not quite ready to buy into the fact that he won't be impeached in the Senate. Um, it's moving ahead in the House, okay? Um, they haven't done the official impeachment hearings yet, but it's coming. Um, it's coming before, to vote tonight. Well, the, the next step, yeah. Now, here's, here's what I think is going on, okay? Obviously, you know, what, what you said, we got people pouring over the border. Um, you know, just it, it, a couple of days ago, he said something about we need more migrants. Hell no, we don't. No, we yeah. don't. <laughs> we got 9 million since Biden mm-hmm. took over. We don't need any more. We need a lot less. Okay. But he's also lied to Congress in congressional hearings regarding the border. Flat out lied. Okay. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff there. Here's why I think there is a possibility. I don't say it's a strong possibility, but there is a possibility that the Senate might impeach him. The border is a huge issue in the upcoming 2024 election. It yes, could it be is. that it could be that there are enough Democrats in the Senate who would offer up a guy like Mayorkas as a sacrificial lamb, if you were, to say okay. to their constituents, "Hey, look, we're taking the border seriously." Okay. And I'll tell you why that's not going to fly, because today it was announced not too long ago, four Republicans in the House are going to side with the Democrats. They are going to vote against impeachment. You know, if they do that, they're idiots, and they and whoever they represent should primary them out. I would think so. I mean, but, this is this is clear dereliction of duty, if not treason, what this guy's done. But the problem is also, yes, Mayorkas has done everything you've said. But the one who's above Mayorkas, which is Biden, is taking no heat for this. Really, no serious heat. There should be two impeachments going on. I agree. Biden. And my orcas. And neither one is. And speaking of Biden, have you noticed since all this came about with the retaliation on the drone strikes and now the my thing, Hunter Biden has faded away into the background. Again. I mean, this this is this yeah. is just par for the course. You know, they're they're willing to let all of this play out so they don't have to deal with Hunter Biden. Yeah, this is this whole administration, as far as I'm concerned, should be impeached. Well, yeah, I, I can't think of one that should stay. I can't either. I mean, that I, it's just just ridiculous. But yeah, it's duck and cover for Hunter Biden. Nobody's happier about it than Hunter, right? You know, because he's off page one now. Hmm. I mean, hopefully he'll be back there. But the problem is if those, um, I even saw uh, not too long before we hooked everything in for tonight, um, one of the the congressmen who said he's not going to vote for it, not because he doesn't think Mayorkas is bad. He said he does agree with that. However, 
the rule of law does not support the impeachment. And I'm listening to this guy talk and I'm saying you've got criminals crossing the border because you cross our border not legally makes you an illegal, which makes you a criminal. And nowhere in our Constitution does it say that we must allow criminals into our country. And here it is. He's saying all this. Well, it doesn't meet the matter, um, the manner of the law, the letter of the law. And there's three others around him agreeing with him. That's nuts. I mean, what about and it his was lying by Fox of all what things? Ab- what about his lying to Congress? Yeah. I mean, he's under oath and he's lying to Congress. That's impeachable right there. I is it impeachable or is it sanctionable? I would I I think you could go either way. But I mean, you sanction a guy like that, it doesn't matter. He doesn't care. No. You know. And I mean, 9 million illegals that we know about that doesn't right. count the the gotaways, the ones that we don't know about. It's about thirteen to fifteen million, actually. You know, we got people coming from China. We got people coming from Russia. We got people coming from the Butkrakistans. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, they're they're all pouring across the border. He's not doing anything to stop it. In fact, he's pulled border security away from the border, border patrol away from the border, ICE away from the border. The you razor know, wire incident? Yeah, but I mean, you know, Texas is, you know, they're they're kind of giving the finger to the whole Biden regime on that razor wire deal. Which is great. You know, there were 12 Republican governors that went to the border last weekend. One of them was uh, my governor, uh, mm-hmm. Jim Pillen, was down there. And I know Christy Nome was down there a week ago. DeSantis has been down there numerous times. Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, 25 Republican governors in all signed a letter of support for Texas and Governor Greg Abbott. And a lot of governors, including mine and yours and and Christy Nome up in South Dakota, they're all vowing to send more help down there to Texas to bolster the border security down there. So, you know, I mean, the, the Supreme Court said that you know, uh, Biden can order them to cut the razor wire, but he did, but they did not say that Texas wasn't allowed to put more up. Right. Well, you know what, in a way that's game playing, it's, it's just a matter of semantics. This particular Supreme court, certain members of the Supreme court, we cannot trust to side on the conservative side. We just can't trust it. Amy Comey Barrett, of course, John Roberts, and to some degree, Kavanaugh. Those three have switched back and forth numerous times on numerous bills. So whether this border thing ends up at the Supreme Court or not, we cannot guarantee the correct verdict. That's true. You know, we're just going to have to play it out and see what happens. But, you know, as long as Governor Abbott down in Texas and a lot of Republican governors continue to send support his way, it's kind of a standoff. You know, but the problem is, you know, the, the Biden regime, they're not getting everything they want, like the razor wire removed. Right. But what they are getting 
is a free flow of illegals coming across the border. Right. We're getting more of them. Well, and you look at this damn border bill that uh, came through the Senate, uh, you know, yesterday, and they're supposed to be voting on that here in the next day or so. That thing is a piece of garbage. I believe that has already failed. Uh, maybe not in a um, actual vote, but the numbers aren't there. Well, the numbers aren't there. And uh, the Speaker of the House said point blank, it's dead on arrival when it gets over here. It's not going yeah. anywhere. Yeah. So, uh, and and Biden, on top of it, part of that bill was um, a lot of money for Ukraine, a little bit of money for Israel, and practically no money for the border, if you want to put it in perspective. And Biden has already said that the standalone bill to aid Israel, he will veto. Right. Idiot. Yeah. I mean, he's playing both sides of the Hamas Israeli war and he's putting our country into a very precarious and dangerous situation that is a 100% fact yeah and for that alone the man should be impeached he is a traitor to this country I, you know this whole border thing the the whole Mayorkas thing you know they got the perfect patsy in in Mayorkas they just they just prop him up and he'll say whatever they tell him to say right. even even when he's under oath no matter how bald face of a lie it is and he does it with a smile on his face because he knows he's basically untouchable exactly but at least we have Kamala Harris as a border czar so there is hope <laughs> could anything go wrong with that <laughs> i can't think of a thing Right. You know? Well, there's um, something else going on with the border. Yeah. And that is, guess which group, and it's not who people think, is the fastest growing migrant group now coming across the border. Now, this will, uh, this might surprise a few people. Yeah. It's they ain't actual- South Americans. Nope. It's actually the Chinese. And it's a little iffy with them. I, I, I think they should be coming here legally, not illegally. But they have been interviewed. A number of them have been interviewed. And their reasons for coming here are not really what I expected. A majority of them who were interviewed said they've had it with China's COVID protocols, which are still in effect, folks. And a lot of them said, we are coming here for one reason and one reason alone, freedom. They were one of the only groups to say that. Remember, they live under a dictatorship, no matter which way you twist it. You know, she can call himself president, but he's a dictator. And so many of them and their range in scope range from factory workers all the way up to bank presidents. Are you buying it, though? Or when they say, well, you know, the main reason we're coming here is for freedom. Are you buying it? And I'll tell you why I don't necessarily buy it. 
these are these are Chinese. They will do whatever their government tells them to do. And I would not put it past the Chinese government, the CCCP, to tell people this is what you say when you get across the border. I I agree. There's probably some that are doing that, but I watched a couple of the um, interviews. They are indeed families, and they are together you know, as a unit coming through, these are not an invasion of young Chinese men by any means. I, I understand that, but let me ask you this. How did they get out of China? Uh, one guy, a college graduate, uh, and this is a directly a, a quote from him. He said his trip from China to get to the border took 40 days. He said he had traveled through Thailand, Morocco, Ecuador, Colombia, Panama, Costa Rica, and Nicaragua in order to reach the U.S. border. And he, 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 he's a young guy, but you can tell he some kind of professional in the way he was speaking and in his mannerisms. This was not a drug runner or something like that. And he also said, freedom. We have no freedom. So I, I don't know a good percentage. I agree with you. They could be Chinese plants, whatever. But I think there is quite a few of them that are trying to come here for the right reasons, but doing it the wrong way. Well, I don't care, really, at this point, why they're coming. They shouldn't be here. They're coming illegally. Um, they're breaking our Well, that's our why law. I said I wish they would do it the right way. And they need to be packed up in an airplane and flown back to Beijing. All of them. Every Chinese person that comes across here illegally just like everybody else that comes across illegally, needs to be sent back to wherever it is they originated from. Hey, I agree. I'm all for rounding up the ones that are here, shipping them back. And I'm also for what Governor DeSantis said about you give them warnings, you give them a few warnings, they don't turn back. That's what the military is there for, if 100, you know what I mean. 100%. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are ways to make this stop and almost stop instantly. You know, well, but we also have another huge caravan heading to the border. Yeah. And uh, this border needs to be shut down immediately. No you know, ifs, or buts. You know, and I know it won't be. Now, the Biden administration, they're going to be making a lot of noise. Oh, look, we're trying to close the border. Those pesky Republicans won't let us. Those MAGA morons won't let us. No, you're not trying to close the border. What you're trying to do is create loopholes so you can actually import more illegal aliens into this country and not have to worry about the law. That's what they're trying to do. Right. And what everybody forgets is the Democrats have a reason for doing this. They threw black Americans under the bus in favor of the illegals. They right. need the illegal vote and enough illegal vote to make up for the black vote that they're starting to lose. Yeah, well, and they're losing Hispanics, too. Right. The, the Hispanics who came here legally, 
especially here in Florida, the Cubans who came here starting in 1960 through the Peter Pan uh, flights, through the Mariel Boatlift, through all the ways they came here, they're furious. They've had it. They've had it because they came here. There was the wet foot, dry foot. There was all sorts of ways that the Cubans were allowed to come here legally. They're fuming because many of them had to leave family behind. Right. You know, so, I mean, look, any way you cut it, any way you look at it, what's happening at the border is 100% anti-American. It's against the law. And the Biden administration is perpetrating it. You know, when when you offer people who are coming here illegally all sorts of perks, including thousands of dollars in cash. And credit cards in New York, $1,000 a month credit cards. Yeah. I mean, when, when you're doing that, you're actually inviting them here. So don't sit there and tell me you're trying to stop this but the Republicans are keeping you from it when you keep adding perks to the deal for all those people that come here illegally. Right. You know, it's, it's crap. It's 100% crap. Speaking of crap, the uh, January jobs numbers came out and, and, and that's another load of crap. Now, of course, Biden and, and all of his people, you know, they're talking about, Oh, what, what great job numbers. But there's some hidden problems there. A lot of them. In fact, you know, there there is a funny saying now going on about that. When are 30, uh, 335,000 new jobs, not 335,000 new jobs, when Washington makes them up and the media dutifully reports them with all due breathlessness. It's true. You know, they're, it, they're manufacturing it's, numbers. They're cooking the books. Yes. And they're also doing, which uh, I have said this for many years now, you know, everybody gets in a tizzy over the national debt. Job numbers have one thing in common with the national debt. It's number shifting on paper. Yeah. And people don't realize that. And it's sad. But Biden absolutely lied about this because many of those jobs that were reported in January were part-time holiday jobs from December. And by January, the jobs are gone. Well, and that's why in the, uh, the jobs report, we're seeing all those layoffs, right? Yes. You know, Friday Absolutely. we talked about the layoffs on this show. Mm-hmm. Okay. And one of the things I brought up was a lot of those layoffs are due to seasonal help. Right. Okay? They were, they were brought in, you know, in November to work through November, December, uh, you know, right up to the end of the year. And then they get laid off. Yes. And in January, to make it even worse, the labor, what's called the labor participation rate, stayed down simply because our Americans are working more part-time jobs because there were fewer full-time jobs. And that's not 
good folks. And, you know, a sizable number of those jobs that they reported as new jobs, look how good we're doing, that actually was jobs taken by people who that particular job became their either second or third job. Right. And, and because they, they're not bringing in enough money on their main job. They're, they're trying to pay the rent. They're trying to pay the mortgage. They're trying to buy food. They're trying to heat and cool their their abode. You know, right. they're, they're trying to put gas in their car. You know, the list just goes on and on. And they can't make it. So they got to take right. two jobs, maybe three jobs, you know, to get the, the thing done. When we were talking about jobs and numbers and inflation and all that the other night, Friday night, I made mention of the fact nobody wants to pay $20 for a hamburger at McDonald's. And, you know, McDonald's has come up with this one fully automated store. There's no employees. Right. Today, there was an article that came out, and I don't remember exactly where this was, but somebody is charging $18.50 now for a Happy Meal. How much? $18.50. Oh, they can stick their Happy Meal. Okay, but this is what happens when you have to pay your employees uh, a high minimum wage. This is what's and this is what I said last Friday. I said, you know, this $15 an hour minimum wage for entry level work is going to cause the the prices to go up everywhere. And I said, nobody at a McDonald's wants to pay $20 for a hamburger. Well, right. There you go. And, and to add insult to injury, you know, the government came up with the number 335 new jobs were created. Well, there's a national household survey that goes around, and that actually showed a net loss of 31,000 jobs for January. So we're not just being lied to, folks. We're trying to be bamboozled well it's an election year and they got to cook the books to make the numbers look better because on the economy biden is getting crushed you know and around the kitchen table around the water cooler people are talking about the economy they're talking about how much money they don't have right okay and biden's approval numbers on the economy are in the tank. Actually, they're almost under the tank. Yeah. Uh, The only thing is, and folks, be prepared for it. The little October surprise can come a little bit earlier because there's rummages going around that the interest rates are going to start to be lowered. Gas Mm -hmm. prices are going to start to come down, and this is all due to manipulation to try to show that Bidenomics is working. Right. And some people will be fooled by it. Don't be. Don't be. All right. Coming up on the show, we've got a couple of good segments. Uh, Diane, you're covering a bad resolution, an unacceptable solution, peace, questionable at best. Right. Okay. That's like an article in a title. Right. Right. <laughs> That's, but it kind of but, explains the whole uh, well article. Well, it does, and it's a multi one of those multifaceted articles. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so this this is going to be very interesting. I'm covering the only path forward. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you know, it's obviously it's for everybody, but it's really aimed at the Republican voters. Mm-hmm. Okay, people have to understand exactly where we're at and what we're facing. Right. You know, so those are the segments we've got coming up here in just a few minutes. So, folks, stay with us. There's more Right Side Patriots after this. You're listening to Right Side Patriots Radio, the best in conservative commentary, news, and talk, where we do away with the politically correct nonsense and give you the politically direct truth. This is the home of Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern with Craig Andreessen and Diane Sori. We're working to make this country great again from the right and leaving puddles of melted snowflakes on the left. Thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots, your best bet on the Internet. You're listening to RSPRadio1.com. Hi guys, Diane Sorry from The Patriot Factor on thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com, where I found a home base seven years ago after becoming one of Facebook's longtime Facebook felons, or so I've been told by the Facebook gods. On my blog, you will find not only my articles, but our Right Side Patriots investigative reports, as well as stories and links to and from well-known writers and bloggers, plus what I call almost daily memes, my snarky take on news of the day. And for more great takes on the issues of the day, check out the National Patriot at thenationalpatriot.com, where you can read Craig's insight into all the current news happenings. And join us both on Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. EST at rspradio1.com. Welcome back to Right Side Patriots on rspradio1.com. Craig Andreessen at the National Patriot, Diane Sori at the Patriot Factor, getting you through the Tuesday night edition of the show. And if you miss any part of it, all you have to do is go to rspradio1.com tomorrow morning, click the podcast button, and have at it. Yes. All right. So, Diane, you kind of took on a multifaceted thing. It all kind of deals with the situation over in the Middle East. A bad resolution, an unacceptable solution, peace, questionable at best. Let's start by saying Friday, October 6, 2023, saw a peaceful day in the Middle East. Peaceful between Israel and the Palestinians living in Gaza. On October 7, 2023, a day forever to be known as Black Saturday, the Iranian-financed and armed terrorist organization Hamas, the governing body, voted into power by the Palestinian people in 2006, broke said peace in the most horrific, barbaric, and savage of ways. Whole families were slaughtered in their sleep, women were gang-raped, People were burnt alive, others were beheaded, 
A baby was cooked to death in an oven, and over 200 civilian hostages were taken. Blood was everywhere in a number of kibbutzim near the Gaza border for no other reason than they were Jews, for no other reason than Iran and Hamas, a direct outshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood's Palestinian branch, wished both Israel and the Jewish people wiped from the face of the map. And while condemnation of Hamas was worldwide at first, in time it morphed into acts akin to the lead-in to the Holocaust, as anti-Semitism once again resurfaced, both here at home and abroad, after Israel retaliated against the acts taken, acts not unlike those of Nazi Germany. Overkill, many called it, as more Palestinians were killed in Israel's retaliatory strikes than were Israelis on October 7th. But unlike the victims in Israel, most of the Palestinians who died, died because they did not heed Israel's warning to vacate certain targeted areas where Hamas operatives were believed to be hiding. And while Israel always tries to keep civilian casualties to a minimum, they are the only country to warn an enemy civilian population to vacate an area before they fire the first rocket. But unfortunately, most did not, resulting in a high Palestinian death toll. But the number cited seems to be overestimated by Gaza officials who knew Israel's goal is to completely eliminate Hamas, dare they ever try to strike Israel again. And as Israel's offensive rightfully continues on, so too has condemnation from international communities who believe that they have a right to tell the sovereign nation of Israel what they can and cannot do, no matter that it was their border alone that was breached. Israel did not initiate this war, but they will end the war on their terms alone. And as anti-Semitism continues to rise, the European Parliament took it upon themselves to pass a resolution calling for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. And Craig, while they demanded two preset conditions, the fact remains that the European Parliament has no right dictating to Israel, nor any nation not part of the European Union, what they can or cannot do in both matters and time of war. You know, it's really interesting when you think about the European Union. You know, they've done what what so many other entities and by entities, I mean, including probably the UN, have done over the years. They're talking out of both sides of their mouth. Of course, they are, they are you know. And while the uh, EP, as I'll refer to them as, made clear its support for Israel, to some degree that is, their first condition was a call for an immediate and permanent ceasefire, with said ceasefire beginning with the, quote, immediate and unconditional release, end quote, of all the hostages taken. And their second condition was that Hamas must be totally dismantled, no mention of the word destroyed. Word semantics, maybe. An act of veiled placation, more likely. 
And in regards to the remaining known hostages, does anyone... Oh, I just had a computer. Oh, no. I'm sorry, folks. Okay, it's back. We must have had a um, power power for a second. Yeah, a little bleep. Okay. Okay. Now... In regards to the remaining known hostages, does anyone still believe that most or any of the hostages taken are still alive? I sadly do not. Here are the reasons for my stating that the EP only supports Israel to some degree, with the first reason being the fact that said resolution also stated that its members must address and denounce what they call the, quote, disproportionate Israeli military response, which has caused a civilian death toll on an unprecedented scale. Denounce the death toll? I say no way, for the true Palestinian death toll is still unknown. And besides, who is the EP to tell Israel what is proportionate or not? especially when many of those killed in Israel's rightful retaliatory strikes were targeted Hamas operatives and their supporters. And second, is that said resolution not only called for full humanitarian access throughout the Gaza Strip, but that the occupation of the Palestinian territories must end, and that the European initiative to put the two-state solution needs to be put back on track, as in post-haste. To all that, I say, no way. Not now, not ever. Why so? Let's start with the humanitarian aid, which must be carefully weighed as the Palestinians living in Gaza with some referring to themselves as Gazans, not only willingly voted terrorists into power, but most of them supported and heralded Hamas's October 7th actions. And this was witnessed by the multitudes who gathered in Gaza's streets to welcome back their so-called heroes, with fists and voices raised in solidarity while they paraded and spat upon the hostages, some wounded and bleeding as they were paraded through the streets. Those supporting barbaric savagery should be given, in my opinion, no aid at all, for the very act of giving them aid allows Hamas's genocidal ideology and ensuing actions to continue on, continue on through their children, the next generation of terrorists, children indoctrinated into both hating Israel and the Jewish people, almost from the time they are born. Now, as for the European Parliament demanding that the, quote, occupation of the Palestinian territories, in this case, Gaza, must end, and that a two-state solution is the only chance for peace, here it's important to understand that technically there never has been a Palestine state, let alone a country, nor were there ever a people known as Palestinians. That is until the PLO leader Yasser Arafat invented them in the late 1960s to help push forward his radical PLO agenda. Also, Craig, people need to understand that there has been no, I repeat, no 
Israeli occupation of Gaza since 2005, when Israel, hoping it would help to bring peace, turned Gaza over to the Palestinians, who in turn voted out what was then the PLO governing body in 2008 by voting Hamas into power instead. Though the EP is demanding formal recognition of something that has never existed, mm-hmm. you know, so that's that's a bit of an issue, uh, you know, right there, and you know, the 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 so-called occupation really isn't unless you consider that the Palestinians are occupying part of Israel, right? Well. There's a question for that. You know, how can Israel end an occupation that has not been in existence for almost two decades? Simply, they cannot. But we can help expose the lie and hope that others learn the truth as to who the real bad guys are. So what did Israel get for this Gaza gesture of peace, but a continuing barrage of Hamas terrorist attacks, courtesy of Iran's support. And while a two-state solution seems like an admirable goal, goal, at least on paper it does, but the reality is that it's totally unattainable under the current conditions. Remember, Israel has offered Palestinian leaders numerous peace deals in the past, deals that could have resulted in a Palestinian statehood, a Palestinian nation. Yet each offer was rejected because the Palestinians refused to lay down their weapons and acknowledge Israel's right to exist. And now it seems they never will, especially when Hamas and its supporters, including those here in the U.S., continuing altering the region's history to justify their means, as in no Jewish state of Israel must exist on the land they call Palestine, land considered to be the southern part of the Levant, land they believe belongs to the Palestinians alone. How wrong these people are. Now, here are but a few historical facts starting with the name Palestine. Palestine was first used by the Roman poet Ovid to describe a generalized region west of Mesopotamia and later used by Roman authorities to describe an, what they called, administrative provincial category and nothing more. As per the words of the Old Testament, Exodus 21.31, quote, I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates, end quote. That was the land God promised to the Jewish people. But unfortunately, what comprises Israel today is less than 5% of that which God promised. And not to be forgotten is that for over four centuries prior to the First World War, said land was part of the Turkish-ruled Ottoman Empire. And Craig, it was only after the war and the empire's collapse that the territory the British referred to as Palestine, which never was an Arab land nor any people's sovereign nation, was assigned by the League of Nations to Great Britain to administer to. And here, via what became a mandate, Biden was 
uh, I'm sorry, Britain was appointed with the task of establishing a national home for the Jewish people. Well, yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of history that goes back a long ways. I mean, when you talk about Exodus, you're talking about 4,000 years. You know, try 5,700. Yeah, 50, well, you know, 4,000 years before Christ. You add another 2,000 to that, you're up to about 6,000 years. But there's a lot of people that seem to have some sort of a problem with the actual creation of what we know as Israel, which took place in the late 1940s, right? Right. So let's fast forward to 1948 and the creation of what became the Jewish state of Israel. But first, let's clear up the key misconception in regards to Israel's creation. The one that Israel was given to the Jewish people as compensation for the Holocaust. This is unequivocally not true, for this land had already been established as a Jewish homeland by the League of Nations decades before. And besides, no Arabs then, nor any of the Palestinians now, have a legitimate claim to a land that was never theirs to begin with. Now, coupling that with the fact that Israel is but a sliver of land surrounded by millions of acres of Arab land, you'd think their fellow Arabs would give up a small piece of land for the Palestinians to call home, or at least give them refuge, but they will not. And why? Because the Arab nations know that the so-called Palestinians are castwise at the bottom of the barrel and do most assuredly breed trouble wherever they go. Take Egypt, for example, who not only shares a border with Gaza, but helps Israelis' blockage of Gaza. Egypt's had trouble with Palestinians in the past and fears that by accepting more into their country, Hamas and other militant groups like Islamic Jihad would be mixed in amongst the new arrivals, never mind that the influx itself would create a burden on Egypt's economy. In fact, President el-Sisi stated about the Palestinians that, quote, it's important for its people to stay steadfast and exist on their own land, but that Egypt will exert its utmost efforts to alleviate their suffering. Also, a large Palestinian presence could again destabilize the Sinai region. Egypt's military rid Sinai of Hamas's backed militants who previously came under the guise of bringing refugees and trying to set up bases from which to attack Israel. In fact, el-Sisi feels so strongly about this that he said of Sinai, quote, the presence of Palestinian militants in Sinai would again become a base for attacks on Israel. Israel would then have the right to defend itself and would strike Egyptian territory. And Craig, remember, Israel and Egypt have been at peace since 1979, and el-Sisi does not want any trouble for Egypt, especially by those in Islamic Jihad, a direct offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood, a group Egypt has had much trouble with in the past. Well, you can understand why el-Sisi doesn't want anything to do with them. I mean, the problems with the Hamas militants there is not uh, a long bygone problem. 
You know, yeah. I mean, it's it's more recent than a lot of people seem to think. But, you know, when you talk about places where they should give up a little land to create a place for the Palestinian people, there is one nation that should immediately leap to mind. Yes, and that nation is Jordan, the country the Palestinians rightfully should call home. King Abdullah II, the kinglet as he is known to some, has stated on numerous occasions that Jordan will take in no Palestinian refugees for fear that Israel's government wants to permanently expel all Palestinians from Israel, thus eliminating demands for Palestinian statehood. But truthfully, what, Abdu- what Abdullah and others really wanted is the total elimination of Israel and the replacing of her with an Islamic Palestinian state. But what's odd is that with most Palestinians being of Jordanian descent and lineage, and with the Palestinians already in Jordan being fully naturalized citizens who hold Jordanian passports, work permits, driver's license, etc., The truth is that Jordan is already an existing Palestinian homeland, just with a different name. So exactly why doesn't Abdullah want to take his own people back into the fold? Simply because Abdullah just doesn't care, as witnessed by these words said to the German Chancellor on October 17, 2023, quote, This is a situation, meaning the war and statehood, that has to be handled within Gaza and the West Bank. And you don't have to carry this out on the shoulders of others, end quote, as enforce the refugees on Jordan. Not such unexpected words coming from the man who has yet to totally cut ties to the Muslim Brotherhood, who, like he, remains somewhat in the shadows, yet is committed to armed resistance against Israel and the aforementioned creation of an Islamic Palestinian state. King Abdullah II, no matter his Western appearance and mannerisms, is, in my opinion, an Islamist at heart. And while some Arab nations do want ties with Israel, with some already stating that Israel does have a right to exist, others are still of the mindset that Middle East peace can only happen when, quote, from the river to the sea and from the north to the south, end quote, Israel and the Jewish people are no more. Thankfully, Israel does not see it that way, nor do her true allies and friends case closed you know you you make a really good point when you say you know israel is such a a small sliver of land Mm -hmm. in the middle east you know if you're not looking really hard at a map you would miss it it's that small yes yeah you know in, in places it's only a few miles wide in certain places i believe it's only eight and a eight or eight and a half miles wide. Yeah, I mean, it's a tiny, tiny little bit, you know. I believe Um, it's the size of, if you gauge it size-wise, not length-wise per se, I believe it's almost the size of Rhode Island, which is probably our smallest state. Yeah, Rhode Island's the smallest state, and if you go by square miles, they're about the same. Yeah. You know, I mean 
the the whole notion that there has to be a Palestinian state that eats up part of such a small nation is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, these people, the you know, the those in, you know in charge of wanting a Palestinian state, the only reason they want it is for a base to launch attacks against Israel. Other than that, exactly. they wouldn't have any use for it at all. Exactly. Remember, Israel is stopping the creation of the Le- the Levant. It's really that simple. Their area encompasses the southernmost point of the Levant. You know, and, and here's, something, here's something else a lot of people don't think about, Diane, and you and I have, but a lot of people don't. You know, if Israel wasn't there, then these quote-unquote Palestinians, and, you know, we're talking about Hamas and a terrorist organization and all that, they would be going after other Arab states. Or, try, try to, trying to do to them what they're trying to do to Israel. I mean, or, I'll go one better. It's not the Arab states they'd be going after. They would be going after the Christian countries. Them too. They'll, they'll go after anybody. It's all about power. Yeah. You know, it's all, power, it's all control. About, yes. Yeah. yeah and, and, you know, Israel stands in the way of that. More so, Israel is a stabilizing force in the Middle East. Israel, you know, and this is why other Arab nations have signed on to things like the uh, the Accords, the Abraham, the Abraham Accords, Accords, is because they realize that by recognizing Israel and, and the way Israel is, it brings stabilization to the entire region. Yeah, but... Israel also is westernized. It's a form of democracy. I wouldn't call it democracy per se, because we know democracy is mob rule, or we should know that by now, folks. Um, But it's definitely westernized. It is definitely Israel and Great Britain are the key, most important allies of the U.S., Plus, they have many, many little friends that you don't want to upset. Yeah, yeah, they're they're um, scattered about judiciously. Yes, Israel has, I believe, it's the third or fourth leading military in the world, behind well, the usual players, the United States. China and Russia, I believe they might be fourth at the most fifth. That tiny little state, folks, is more powerful than most of the world. Well, and if, excuse me, if you talk about the state of Israel, one of the things that is blatantly obvious is the economic prosperity of Israel. Yes. You know, and all these Arab states surrounding it would benefit by befriending Israel, and and they know it. That's why we have the Abraham Accords, and we have so many different Arab states signing on to that. Everybody benefits from supporting Israel economically. Right. But they don't see it that way, because remember, except for the modernized part of Saudi Arabia, a small part of Jordan, um, the Kuwait, 
states, you know, the, the big moneyed Arab states, most of the Arab states still live like they lived, you know, when uh, Islam was invented. They're not part of the modern world. And they want to stay that way. Yeah, I was just going to say, they don't want to be. You know, because because to do that upsets their little apple cart. Yeah. Their dominance over women. They need to keep certain traditions that they deem, you know, holy, whatever. Um, They don't want to give them up because if they give them up, it gives up their power. Islam is about power and control. Well, and, you know, is it really? I mean, do they really have power? What they have is terror. You know, if you don't knuckle under and do what they tell you to do, they terrorize you and they murder you. I mean, it's not really power, but. Yeah, it is. In their minds, it is. Because through terror, they have the power to control you. It's one and the same. It's word semantics, but it's all one and the same. And Israel is trying to change that in the Middle East, trying to bring this area into the modern world. And they're fought against that. You know, everybody is against them in that area for trying to do that. Well, and you take a nation like Saudi Arabia. For instance, obviously They're they still have half a lo- and half. Yeah. yeah, but and, you know, obviously they have a long way to go in the human rights, uh, you know, department and women's rights, you know, and everything. There's a, a about half of that, you know, the the hierarchy there wants to be more westernized. They want to advance those rights to women and human rights in general. The other half doesn't, you right. know, but. They're, they were on the verge of signing on to the Abraham Accords until all of this happened. Now that's all kind of on hold. They're not really backing away from it. They're just waiting until this thing sorts itself out. But the, even they realize that, you know, by having peace with Israel, they benefit. Oh, yeah. The crown prince yeah. of Saudi Arabia, he's a very westernized individual. He is Western educated. He he knows the score. And he also knows you don't make Israel your enemy. You make them your friend because you will prosper and your right. people will prosper from being so. It's it's a big deal. Folks, this is a, a really good op-ed. It's, it's pretty in-depth and you want to pick it up. A bad resolution, an unacceptable solution, peace questionable at best. You can find it at Diane's blog, thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com, or you can go to rspradio1.com. Either way, you can get a link to this op-ed, and we hope that you would share it everywhere you can. All right, we've hit the top of the hour. That means we've got to take another break. When we come back, I'm talking about the only path forward stay with us there's more right side patriots after this hi guys diane sorry from the patriot factor on the patriotfactor.blogspot.com where i found a home base seven years ago after becoming one of facebook's longtime facebook felons or so i've been told by the facebook gods 
On my blog, you will find not only my articles, but our Right Side Patriots investigative reports, as well as stories and links to and from well-known writers and bloggers, plus what I call almost daily memes, my snarky take on news of the day. And for more great takes on the issues of the day, check out the National Patriot at thenationalpatriot.com, where you can read Craig's insight into all the current news happenings. And join us both on Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. EST at rspradio1.com. You're listening to Right Side Patriots Radio, the best in conservative commentary, news, and talk where we do away with the politically correct nonsense and give you the politically direct truth. This is the home of Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern with Craig Andreessen and Diane Sori. We're working to make this country great again from the right and leaving puddles of melted snowflakes on the left. Thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots, your best bet on the Internet. You're listening to RSPRadio1.com. Welcome back to Right Side Patriots on RSPRadio1.com. Craig Andreessen at the National Patriot and Disco Diane Sori over there at the Patriot Factor. Why Disco? She's got a disco ball going off in her office. That No, it's not a disco ball. What happened during my reading is my fluorescent desk lights decided to go in and out, flash on the screen. For minute seconds, it would sort of um, black out the screen, which wasn't really blacked out. It was just hazed over for you know milliseconds but enough to like oh my god where's my place now let's go it's disco lighting at diane's yeah right yeah hey you know you're you're a fan of the 70s right well that was my time to you know have a good time the late 70s and early 80s oh yeah i had a ball diane's having flashbacks at more weights than one (laughs) All right, folks, I've decided this week to take on the only path forward. Now, there's no path by which Nikki Haley can win the Republican nomination. And if she doesn't know that as a fact, she's not smart enough to be the nominee, much less the president. In Iowa, in what was essentially a four-person race, Haley came in second to last. And yet she claimed it was then a two-person race. Vivek Ramaswamy dropped out, and so too eventually did Ron DeSantis, thus making it truly a two-person race. In New Hampshire, in exactly what Haley wanted, a two-person race, she came in dead last. In Nevada, also a two-person race, dead last. Now, facing the potential embarrassment in her own home state, again in a two-person race, Nikki Haley is about to come in, I think, dead last again. 
Rinse and repeat for as long as she remains in this quote-unquote two-person race for the Republican nomination. What's keeping her in last place in a two-person race for the nomination is money from liberal donors and the votes of liberals in states like New Hampshire that have open primaries, not money being donated to her last-place campaign by Republicans and clearly not votes from Republican voters. More to the point, virtually all the liberals casting Nikki Haley ballots in open primary states, and I believe most independent left-leaning voters who have cast Haley ballots in those states, will in fact cast their general election ballots for Joe Biden or whoever potentially replaces Biden, which is a distinct possibility. Excuse me, Diane. Joe Biden or whoever might replace him, will have to face off in November against Donald Trump, a former president with a pretty good track record on the issues and policies that matter most to voters across party lines. That's not to say that Trump will be pulling in Democrat votes in November, but there are signs that truly terrify the liberal machine and their propagandists in the mainstream media. Yeah, now it's uh, very uh, surprising to some, but not to all, that certain groups that once were rock-solid Democrat voters are now seeing the Republican side, and for certain specific reasons. Well, yeah, and we talked about this in the first segment. We brushed up against it. Liberalism is bleeding minority voters from their once rock-solid blocks in black and Hispanic communities. And most of those who are turning their backs on the failed policies of Biden and so many other elected liberals are signaling that they intend to vote for Trump. Why? Because in the four years Trump was at the helm, they saw what liberals had for decades promised and failed to deliver, becoming reality. Record high unemployment in minority communities, or record high, I should say, employment in minority communities, record low unemployment, record high minority-owned business startups, record high female employment, rising wages, fewer minorities living in poverty conditions, and then there are the other big things. Let's forget DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion for now, and concentrate on what I call beer, border, economy, energy, and regulations. We'll start with the border. Under Trump, we had the most secure border in history. It wasn't perfect, but it was far, far better than it is now. And even Democrats have had it with Biden's open border policies. Biden isn't just allowing millions upon millions of completely unvetted illegal aliens to stroll across our border. He's paying them to come here illegally. He's trafficking them all over our country. He and liberal blue states are providing housing, health care, and education free to illegal aliens. And while they do all of that for those who shouldn't even be here, Biden and liberals in general are turning their backs on American citizens. For nearly a decade, sanctuary cities and sanctuary states, deep blue all, have virtue signaled that illegal aliens were welcome there. 
But as nearly 9 million illegal aliens pour into our country under Biden's open border policy, even sanctuary cities and states are getting sick of it. They can't handle what they virtue signaled they wanted because when the virtue signaling became reality, they had no place to put the illegals and no money to pay for them. Diane, not only do liberals want millions and millions of more liberal voters, not only do they know that giving illegal aliens free housing, health care, and education is literally paying illegals to eventually vote for the party that paid them, but it's also a societal re-engineering tactic designed to brown America, and more importantly, to hasten their quote-unquote, fundamental transformation of America into a socialist entity. Yeah, and that sort of segues itself into the economy and all the things that were accomplished during President Trump's first term in office. Well, during Trump's four years in the White House, not only did our nation's economy stabilize from the Obama decline, it also grew at a record pace. Leading up to the 2016 election in June of that year, Obama said that manufacturing jobs that under his watch had moved overseas simply would not be coming back. Trump, in his campaign speeches, claimed that he would bring those jobs back home, to which Obama quipped, and I quote, When somebody says that he's going to bring all these jobs back, well, how exactly are you going to do that? What are you going to do? There's no answer to it. What magic wand do you have? As it turns out, Trump's magic wand was tax cuts. And not only did manufacturing jobs come home, but the GDP under Trump skyrocketed even after the COVID setbacks. While there are many liberal sites claiming Trump had dismal GDP numbers, the truth of the matter is that GDP grew at an annualized rate of 33.1% in the third quarter of 2020, thus beating all expectations and setting an all-time record that was almost double the previous record that was 70 years old. In 2018, Trump's policies and before the covid came in, our nation's GDP hit 4.1%, something Obama had said was impossible. And that was, I should say, and what that translates into is that Trump's economic policies added more water to the lake, thus making all the boats float higher. Diane, as soon as Biden occupied the Oval Office, his policies designed to do away with Trump's policies quickly led to disaster economically with rising taxes, skyrocketing inflation, and government-mandated COVID shutdowns forcing Americans out of work. Well, one thing that you did forget in the part about the economy before you get into energy, not only did Trump cut the taxes to bring businesses and manufacturing back to the United States, but he also cut the overburdening uh, regulations placed on these businesses. Right. And I'm going to get to regulations here in a little bit. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't. That's the R in beer. Ah, okay. 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 Border energy. Um, Sure. 
what 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 was it? Oh, the economy and economy and regulations. Regulations. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't forget. But let's talk about energy before we get to that. Trump, okay. when he was our president, did more than threaten OPEC and other adversarial energy producing nations. He followed through on the threats. Trump's energy policies made us energy independent. While energy independence is a relative term, it was a fact that under Trump, the U.S. was exporting more oil than we imported. But perhaps more important than the price of gas at the pump, which left more money in the pockets of Americans, was the fact that we were able to fill our nation's oil reserves at unprecedented low prices, thus adding to our national security. But it wasn't just oil. It was also coal and other natural resources that were protected under Trump, but demonized under Biden. According to the American Energy Alliance, and I'm quoting, On energy, President Donald Trump has made America great again. In 2019, after 62 years, the United States achieved energy independence, meaning that as a nation, we produced more energy than we consumed. In 2019, the United States produced more oil and more natural gas than either Russia or Saudi Arabia. In fact, in June 2020, the U.S. actually exported oil to Saudi Arabia. Diane, Mm -hmm. that's a pretty bold fact. Oh, yes, it is. So now we get into the whole issue of regulations, which we have to get credit to President Trump for cutting way back on overburdening regulations. I think there's going to be some information in this part of this commentary that might surprise people. Maybe. Regulations or deregulation isn't exactly a common topic at kitchen tables across America, but maybe it should be. During Donald Trump's four years in office, he engaged in regulatory reform to the tune of 145 deregulatory actions and 45 significant regulatory actions for an out-to-in ratio of 3.2 to 1. So what exactly does that mean? Well, the bulk of those reforms and deregulations were aimed at environmental and transportation sectors. It means that in fiscal year 2020, Trump had eliminated $144 billion in overall regulatory costs across the board. And that, from fiscal year 2017, Trump had eliminated some $198.6 billion overall. And why is deregulation important to individual Americans? Because government regulations reflect an administrative overreach, which directly threatens individual liberty at the most basic level and at the level of private enterprise. Put bluntly, government regulation is an intrusion into the private lives of Americans as individuals and into private businesses. And Trump's massive deregulation efforts signaled a belief that freedom is better than the administrative state. Naturally, the vast majority of Trump's deregulations were quickly reversed by the Biden regime because liberalism simply cannot withstand individual freedoms and insists that once free people become reliant on the government. 
There can be no greater example of this than the Biden regime's mandates that would force people, once free, to make their own decisions to drive vehicles mandated by the government, cook their meals on stoves mandated by the government, and heat their homes by whatever the government deemed permissible as a heat source. Sure, Trump's deregulation saved close to $200 billion in enforcing the regulations he did away with, but does that transfer into saving people money from their bank accounts? In a word, yes. From a Fox Business report in October of last year, and I quote Diane, According to the analysis, recent energy regulations proposed or finalized by the Biden administration would on average make water heaters cost $2,800 more, gas stoves as much as $3,250 more expensive, air conditioners $1,100 more expensive, and gas furnaces nearly $500 more expensive, and the Alliance for Consumers added that more efficient products are often less effective than their predecessors, unquote. Yeah, well, you know, there are other issues that are on Americans' minds, and uh, maybe you'll do another op-ed on that editorial um, down the road. But those beer issues, as you call them, those have to stay on people's minds because those four issues are really key and where uh, Biden and his entire administration just fail completely. Yeah, did they fail or did they do it on purpose? I think they did it on purpose. Yeah, yeah, probably. Okay, so let's look at those beer issues that I mentioned in this commentary. Trump had a good track record, while Nikki Haley is an unknown, especially since she would be beholding to her liberal donors. Appealing to liberals in the primaries is not what Republican voters want, and it would not translate well into votes in a general election. The longer Haley stays in this two-person race, the more times she will come in dead last, and frankly, that doesn't even make her a good VP choice. Donald Trump will run away with this nomination, and I predict he will win all 50 states on his way to the nomination. That doesn't mean he'll win in November as the liberal machine will once again be looking for and finding ways to cheat the system. That said, Republican voters, even those who don't like Trump for personal reasons, need to rally together and vote for him in November, or we'll all be looking at the last four years as the good old days compared to what's coming under a second term of Joe Biden or whoever replaces him. Trump will not be or is not without his issues. And he wasn't perfect during the four years at the Hill. He's no better roses, but he's a hell of a lot better than any liberal. There are no gray areas with Trump. You either like him or you hate him. But for Republican, never Trumpers, it's a matter of leftover hurt feelings because he harshly fended off their candidate of choice in 2016 or it's a personality thing. I get it. 
clearly it's not policy-driven because where the policies that matter most around the kitchen table and water coolers are concerned, his policies were good for Americans and good for America. Trump now is the only path forward. Well, when you put him up against Joe Biden, that is absolutely true. It's either Trump or Biden. And I know I, as a constitutional Republican, in no way will I ever pull that lever for Joe Biden or any Democrat for president. Well, so, and, and see, that's, that's the problem. It may be Joe Biden. It may not be Joe Biden. Right. But Trump, on his worst day, is better than any liberal on their best day. No, I will agree with you on that. I do agree with you on that 100%. And, hey, I freely admit I'm in that group that you're talking about. I'm not a never-Trumper. But I am one that would have preferred another person. I am one of them that did not want to see a Trump-Biden rematch. Well, and you're not unique. You're not unique in that. No. It's it's over 70% of American right. voters said they would rather not see that rematch. Right. But I'm also smart enough to know that come November, if Trump is indeed the nominee, and it looks like he will be, but there's always, you never know, you know, in this world things can happen. I'll do the right thing. I, I won't be happy about it because I think there was other ways to go. But I'm also smart enough to know we cannot have four more years of the Democrats. We just cannot have it. We will lose our country or we will have a second American revolution. One or the other. You know, and a lot, of course, you know, there's a lot of voters out there right now, I know, that are sitting on the fence. And, you know, Republican voters, independent voters, right? And they're kind of wondering, oh, yeah, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And a lot of it is going to come down to whoever Trump picks as a VP to run with Yes. Okay? Yes. Right now, he mentioned a couple of days ago, he mentioned two names. He mentioned Tim Scott and Governor Christy Noem. Uh, is, is, you know, people that he's looking at. It's going to be an interesting thing. Well, personally, I don't think either of those two are good choices, although I like Christy Nome. I think she is a great governor. I think she's a good, solid Republican, and I, I really like her. But she doesn't bring much to the table because her state is not a highly populated state. It doesn't have the problems that a lot of the other areas of the country have. Tim Scott, I did like at one time until his theatrics in endorsing Trump. It's one thing to endorse somebody and all the candidates who dropped out, uh, I'm not sure about Chris Christie, but the others Uh all endorsed Trump, including my candidate of choice, Ron DeSantis. But Tim Scott's theatrics turned me so off that I do not believe he is of the right caliber to be vice president. Personally, the 
the one I would like to see as Trump's VP, although she said she wasn't interested, was um, Elise Stefanik from New York. Well, and, and I agree. And I, and you know, look, I I would be happy with uh, with Governor Nome. I'm, you know, I'm more familiar with her because she's the governor, you know, just north of me. Right. Um, you know, and I cover her in in my local news for terrestrial radio all the time. You know, you're right. South Dakota doesn't have a lot of the problems that other places have, but a lot of the reason for that is Governor Christie Nome and, and the way she. But it also governing. doesn't have the electoral votes that are needed. Well, no, but I can tell you this: all three Democrats that live in South Dakota want her gone. <laughs> all I, three. I can. I can. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, you know. I mean, look. I'm not sure exactly how many. People all together are in the South Dakota legislature, and it's a two-house, you know, Senate and a House. But I know only 11 of them are Democrats. Mm -hmm. No, I I think she's a a great governor, and I think she, she, under different circumstances, I think she'd be a great vice president. Do I think she'd be presidential material? um, I don't know. Four years down the road? No. No, I, I, you know, I kind of agree with you there, you know, and that's a big part of it. You know, Trump is, you know, if he wins, if he wins, he's a one-term president. Right. Okay, so whoever the VP is, is the odds-on leading entity for the next election in 28, right? Right. I mean, that, you know, but it's going to be an open election in 28. You're going to have 20, 25 people run it. I mean, I just, just about guarantee you. Now, I'll, t- I'll throw out another name that's that nobody else is considering that I think would make a decent vice president. I have no idea if he's interested. Lee Zeldin. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think he'd be great. He's the one who almost became governor of New York. Yeah, I mean, um, he's very conservative, choices. very constitutional. I think he'd make a great choice. And New York brings in a lot of electoral votes. Right. I'm just saying there are choices. So a lot of people are going to wait and see who he picks for vice president before they make their decision on who they're going to vote for in 24 in November. Right. Here's the problem. Even if you don't like his vice presidential pick, if you don't think that person is maybe the best vice presidential pick he can make, your your only other choice is to help the liberals win. You know, I mean, it, it's I, I see. Can I don't look at it. I don't look at it that way. If you don't vote, or you vote a third party in November, if Trump is the nominee, okay. If you vote a third party, if you don't vote, if you do a write-in vote in November, all you're doing is helping the liberal win, whether it's Joe Biden or, or whoever. Could be Michelle Obama. Could be Gavin <laughs> Gavin Newsom. Okay. If you don't vote for the Republican nominee in November, you're helping the liberal win, period. Because no write-in candidate, no third-party candidate is going to win, but they will take votes away from the, the Republican nominee. Now, some people are saying, well, we might vote for Robert F. Kennedy Jr., that's a mistake. Don't do it. Yeah, no, that's not an option for me. That's for no. sure. 
I mean, he he was good on the COVID vaccine, COVID vaccine, right? But everything outside of that, he's a diehard liberal, right? You know? Oh yeah, absolutely. No, he's not an option for me at all. So it's it's an interesting situation that we find ourselves in. But right now, Trump is the only way forward. You can get my uh, commentary, the only path forward by going to my blog, thenationalpatriot.com, or you go to rspradio1.com. The link is there either way. Grab the link, give it a read, share it if you would. I'd appreciate it. And why not just save time? Go to rspradio1.com. You can get Diane's op-ed and my commentary links right there. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can. Makes it pretty simple. But with that, Diane, you and I are out of time for tonight's show. So with that, I'll say nighty-night, folks. Folks, have yourselves a great rest of the week. We'll catch up with you again on Friday. Bye-bye.